My name is Charles Nyaga, and I am not very new here. I'm just preaching as a guest preacher in the absence of Pastor Edwin. I've been coming to this church for well over 22 years now, so I am no longer a guest. I'm just a guest preacher. Uh, Chip uh, told me not to preach until 2 o'clock today. <laughs> just as a word of caution, so we'll not be here till 2 o'clock, and he asked me whether this is lunch. This is not lunch. <laughs> it's something else. So you can rest assured, I promise you, we'll not go beyond 3 o'clock. <laughs> uh, thank you for letting me into your space. And today, um, as I was preparing for this sermon, I remember that we are still in the Pentecost mood. That's why you can see all the red. There's quite a bit of red uh, simply uh, signifying the Holy Spirit when it came on the, Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. But as I was doing my study for this lesson, there are some things that uh, I found quite intriguing, and perhaps we will have the time to think about them. At Pentecost, we see that the first multicultural, multiracial, multi-faith congregation was started by Simon Peter. And then you begin to think that in our contemporary world, where we are thinking about things like immigration. What did it look like in an empire in Rome? And I was thinking, what would have happened if the people were kept out? Would that day still be Pentecost or the Holy Spirit perhaps would have been postponed to another date? Just wondering. People came from Asia, as far as China. People came from Africa. People came from all of Europe. The Arabs were there in that congregation. People from Persia were there. So it was this overwhelming work of the Holy Spirit that can only do that, bring all those people from all walks of life together. And so I wonder, I wonder, just wonder, just me wondering, has the Holy Spirit abandoned us as Christians or have we abandoned the Holy Spirit? I walked into my former boss's office in Marietta at 1 p.m. some years back one day. It was 2 p.m., uh, 1 p.m. and I found him drinking a beer. I was surprised for a second, but then he said to me, it's five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere is a country song, music by Alan Jackson. I think Alan Jackson is from Newnan, Georgia. Am I right? Yes. What that means is that it's time to get drunk. The bars are open. Now, Pentecost 
seemed a lot like five o'clock in Palestine on Pentecost Day. Even though it was nine o'clock in the morning, Peter was compelled to stand up to give a speech and try to explain things, to explain what was going on. And two important events happened on that day. First, we had Peter preaching what is known today as the first sermon to a multicultural crowd, and the church began from there. Peter became the first bishop known in history through this sermon. Second, the Christian church was born out of that event, and you can see that in the book of Acts chapter 2. There were hundreds upon thousands who joined the Christian movement, Christian movement, not Christian church at this time yet. Everybody was included. There were no exclusions at Pentecost. Now listen to the word of the Lord. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Judea, in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine o'clock in the morning. Now, in this gathering, the Holy Spirit had just blown through, and almost instantaneously, lives were transformed in ways we here will never understand. You see, we are never quite prepared to handle that which may happen when we say the words, come, Holy Spirit, come. We don't know exactly what we are asking for. If you invite the Holy Spirit to come, keep in mind that you are God's moral agent here on earth, and you have responsibilities and the consequences thereof. So next time you ask the Holy Spirit to come, be well aware that you may be asked to do things you never did before. Understand also that the invitation for the Holy Spirit is risky business because he will make you jump up and do things. You will no longer be tethered to the cultural social constructs of our society. Power and confidence will overcome all the fears. Just look at Peter. Peter went fishing shortly after Jesus had left the earth. Peter had given up the faith. Here is the caveat. You will, however, face backlash. You will cause problems for yourself among your friends and family who will think that perhaps you've been drinking again. That is exactly what happened on Pentecost. What was the cultural situation in those days? It was not exactly like our culture today. Well, the people in Jerusalem that day were not there to attend a country music concert. They were not there for a religious revival. They were not even there 
looking for a church. They were not even coming to listen to a powerful celebrity speaker from Los Angeles. Least of all, not Simon Peter at a minimum because, remember, Peter is the same guy who left Jesus when Jesus needed friends. In those days, there were three Jewish pilgrimage festivals to which every male Jew living within the metro area of Jerusalem, all of them were required by law to attend. So that's another thing we need to look at when we are reading the Pentecost. It was not just the Holy Spirit coming down and things are done and then we go home singing hallelujah. The three festivals that were required by law for everybody to attend were the Passover in April, the Pentecost in early June when summer was just kicking in, and the Festival of Tabernacles, which was celebrated for the harvest in late September to early October. It's very similar in many ways to our Thanksgiving holiday. Now, Peter's sermon gives us a window into the effect of the Holy Spirit, who is neither confined nor is exclusively owned by Christians and the Christian church. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not be contained nor restricted by us. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is not Christian. Did you know that? Neither is God a Christian. Even Jesus is not a Christian. Sounds strange, isn't it? That is one reason why the long-held idea that Christians own the Holy Spirit exclusively has led to the crisis in the American church. Christianity is not, I repeat, not the only custodian of the Holy Spirit. And I hope this is not breaking news. Indeed, the Christian church right now is facing a crisis of identity. Christian spirituality seems to be tied to our feelings and our own small little stories, good as they are. More often, I like to call it the bystander church of God in Christ. In our churches, the Holy Spirit is clearly MIA, missing in action, remembering tomorrow, which is Memorial Day. The church is timid in so many ways. William Buckley said this about the church. If in our day the church were to become enfeebled or to become weakened, if the Christian ethic were to be more and more submerged into the world, if the Christian faith were to be twisted and distorted, it would not only be we who are the losers, those of generations to come would be robbed of something infinitely precious. We are not only the possessors, but also the trustees of the faith if we do the right thing, based on God's truth, not alternative reality. Walter Brueggemann is an elder theologian from Atlanta here and said this about the American church. 
I've said this a few times, but I think it's pertinent. The crisis in the U.S. church has nothing, nothing to do with being liberal or conservative, neither of the sides. But it has everything to do with giving up of the faith and discipline of our baptism. And then we are settling for a common generic U.S. identity that is part patriotism, part consumerism, part violence, and part affluence. The Holy Spirit is missing in action in our lives. So who is this Holy Spirit on whom our faith depends? How can we as a community of faith discern and identify the spirit which is from God and that which is not? And more importantly, which spirit are you operating under? The Holy Spirit is with the Father and the Son, equally eternal God to be found wherever there is life instead of death, and in the world wherever life is respected, preserved, and defended. There, we may recognize the creative, life-giving spirit of God at work. According to Shirley, another Atlantan theologian, in the Old Testament, we are told that this means also in the world outside of the circle of believers as well. However and by whomsoever, the natural and the physical human life is maintained wherever there is wisdom, wherever there is beauty, wherever there is creativity, wherever there is wisdom, wherever there is justice, where justice is done for the sake of the poor and the oppressed, the spirit is present. People who suffer and see no way out of suffering, people who are enslaved and oppressed by their own and other people's sinfulness and injustice, cry out to the Holy Spirit and cannot talk enough about it. They sing all the day long about it. Those Christians who know the Spirit of God find the work of the true Spirit in ordinary, everyday human life where there seems to be no supernatural intervention. Like, for example, when a life is saved in a hospital, Keniston, Grady, through science and technology and the technical skills of doctors and nurses who may not be Christians at all, their Christians will see the work of the Holy Spirit. They recognize the work of the Holy Spirit when an unjust secular political system, government, or a court of law does justice, sometimes despite the objections of the spiritual Christians and church and the religious. For there, where people are struggling, is where we encounter the Spirit of God of the Bible who is at work, not to save us from, but in and for the sake of the world. 
But even in those places where there are struggles and in those other places where there is comfort, there are as many, many spirits out there deceiving and manipulating good Christians for the benefit of a few evildoers. And the interesting thing is that the good Christians have gladly bought into the lie for self-preservation. And John Culture cautions us in his first letter, and he says this, Do not believe all spirits, because not all spirits are from God. We are deceived if we think that the only spirit present in our lives is the Holy Spirit. John writes to all of us and says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. But then how do we test the spirits? To distinguish between God's spirit and other spirits requires work. It requires prayer. It requires discernment. And there are at least two ways of doing that. One is in your conversations. Where does Jesus Christ feature and in which ways? Or is it just your feelings, my opinions, or whatever else? What is it? Second, you can test your spirit or somebody else's spirit by looking at the empathy for others. What is your level? What is my level of empathy for other people? Empathy is at the heart of God and human life alike. The path to God is through Jesus Christ. This is what Christ told us. But the problem is, to get to Christ, we have to go through people. You cannot avoid and you cannot choose the people with whom to associate if you are truly a spiritual person. It is that simple. You associate with people, you're going to Christ. Yet, that is one of the most difficult endeavors of human behavior. It is a risk. It is only a risk that the Holy Spirit can enable. If you want to talk about race, don't. If the Holy Spirit is not a part of it, it will not work. There is no debate we can have if the Holy Spirit is not invited first and then be ready to face the consequences of what the Holy Spirit will tell us to do. Why should we test the spirits? First, I submit to you that there is an overload of deceptive spirits everywhere you look. John goes further to explain and says this, Many false prophets have gone out into the world. False preachers are out right now as we speak. This is not hyperbolic. I also submit to you that we have many false spiritual pre uh, prophets in our houses of worship, just to put it very, very mildly. Now, through the, Holy Spirit, through the spirit of deception and manipulation, we have been desensitized to the suffering of the marginalized refugees, and Jesus was a refugee, by the way, 
to the work of the Holy Spirit. We've been desensitized to the social ethics and morality. We've been desensitized to the decay of our social decorum and unbecoming language in public discourse. We've even gone further and we've been desensitized to God's judgment as it is prescribed in the scripture. We have been deceived and desensitized to the sanctity of life and value of human life. And empathy is no longer our strong suit. There is this heartless story from France of a dying young woman who called emergency services 911 for help recently. She said to the operator, quote, I am going to die. And the operator re responded by saying, quote, you will die. Certainly one day, like everyone else, a few hours later, Naomi Musenga died just like that. The spirit of empathy is lost if, if, if on most of us, if not all of us, and it's getting a little worse. My analogy of how to cut the waves of the Holy Spirit is think of a all-night AM radio which you have to tune in and listen in in order to catch it. You listen in carefully and you cut out the noise. Right now, the noise is overwhelming for you to hear anything, for me to hear anything. Right now, the Holy Spirit is hovering, trying to find a place to land and stay. The Holy Spirit is looking for company, just hovering around. There's an old spiritual which says that the Spirit is crying for the hearts which have lost their faith in God. God's people are those who are after God's own heart. That's how Abraham and David, bad as they were, became God's best friends. You can also think of the Spirit as a helicopter also that hovers around and looking for a landing spot, which is your heart. But then, this Holy Spirit helicopter found a landing spot in two of these gentlemen here. One is St. Francis of Assisi, who was born in great wealth, high social status. He enjoyed fun, but he was not happy. And he felt that his life was incomplete. One day, he was out riding when he met a man with leprosy. The man was disgusting and repulsive in the ugliness of his disease. Something moved Francis to dismount and he bear hugged the leper. While in his arms, the face of the leper changed to that of the Christ. So what you see is that in the ugliness of things, Christ's face shows up. In the ugliness of things, therein you will find God's own spirit. I hope everything is well with David. Frenchman Martin of Tours became St. Martin of Tours and bishop of that city. He was a Roman soldier and a Christian. 
One cold winter day, as he was entering the city, a beggar came to him and asked for a handout. Martin had no money. But the beggar was blue and shivering with cold, and Martin gave him what he had. He took off his coat. and tore it into two, and he gave it to him. That's all he had. Half of that. Here's this kicker here. That night, Martin had a dream, and in the dream, he saw the heavenly places and all the angels and Jesus Christ among them. Jesus was wearing half of the soldier's jacket. Then one of the angels said to Jesus, Master, why are you wearing this battered old dirty jacket? Who gave it to you? And Jesus quietly answered saying, My friend, my servant Martin, gave it to me. These two stories may sound more like generosity and charity as we should, but more importantly, notice the Spirit of God who makes us do things we ordinarily would not do. Because the things, like Paul said, the things I want to do, I do not do. The things I don't want to do, those I do. We are most likely to do charity if our charitable contributions will be tax deductible. Now, before we all get confused as we come to the end, let us be very, very clear who the Spirit of God is not. Charlie Guthrie again says this, that not everything is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not every shattering emotional experience that changes a person's life. Not every insight into meaning and purpose of life. Not every vision for the church or a person and plan for correcting what is wrong with the church and the world is the work of the Spirit. But then again, if any and every new thing does not automatically indicate the presence of the Holy Spirit, and everything that, is, that seems old and to us and does not indicate the absence of the Holy Spirit, how can we then recognize the, spirits, the, the Holy Spirit? We know that the Holy Spirit works inwardly in our hearts. Let us not confuse two things. Number one, let us not confuse the Holy Spirit's inspiration with our own ideas and opinions. And we will not confuse or try to confuse the Holy Spirit's guidance and empowerment with the fulfillment of our own personal or collective wishes and desires. Amen. Let us go into prayer as we pray for this world and ourselves. Let us pray. Eternal God, you alone are good and holy. Purify our lives and make us brave and loyal disciples so we may serve Christ through your people. O oh God, deliver us from the lack of reverence for truth and the beauty of your creation. Deliver us from the calculating or sentimental mind. Deliver us from going along to get along with mean and ugly things. 
Deliver us from artificial life and worship that is hollow and insincere. Deliver us from cynicism and intolerance and cruel indifference to the suffering of others. Deliver us from token concern for the poor and the oppressed and the lonely or the loveless among us. Tell us something we cannot tell ourselves. We pray for genuine peace. At times, we are like strangers on this earth, taken aback by the violence which we are a part of and the harsh oppositions to your spirit's demands. Our feelings and our emotions matter to us more than listening to your soft, silent voice. Holy God, destroy prejudice that turns us against one another through our egos and evil designs that seek to highlight our differences more than our common good in your perfect love. We forget that in your image we are all created. We have failed to acknowledge the beauty and the power of diversity of ideas, faith, color, cultures, beliefs, opinions, the diversity of food, the landscape and the insects and all the animals, small and large, in our ecosystem. The beauty of the flora and fauna. Lord God Almighty, hold back those who are impulsive, least desire for vengeance overwhelm our common welfare. Do not let the threats multiply or power be used without compassion. May your will overrule human willfulness. We ask for your never-ending blessings and wisdom. Teach us to love our neighbors without whom you have told us that we cannot and will not see you. Put in our hearts the purpose of praying to you as Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. It is not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs>